You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. I am your host, Mike Wood. Thank you for joining us. I hope you're having a wonderful week. Just want to remind you that we are just about two and a half months away from Work Human itself with over 50 speakers and eight content tracks. We hope you're going to be there. So visit www.workhuman.com and check out the amazing lineup and all the great content that you will experience. And plus, Work Human Radio is going to be there. We're going to be broadcasting live from the event and streaming it on YouTube. More details to come in the future. One of the speakers that's going to be at Work Human again this year is Rasmus Hogard. Rasmus is one of our top-rated speakers from past years, and he is really all about mindfulness. And this year, he is going to be talking about the mind of the leader. So um, we actually had a chance to um, interview him on the phone a couple of weeks ago. Take a listen to this interview and learn all about the mind of the leader with Rasmus Hogard. We'll see you after the break. Hey, great. So the recording just started. Uh, thank you for coming on to Work Human Radio, Rasmus. My pleasure. Thank you. So I'd like to start with your background. You've practiced and taught mindfulness for 20 years now. How did you come into the field? Right. That's a, that's a good question. It's uh, 25 years ago, so it's a, it's a long way back. I, uh, I traveled in Asia and stumbled upon this thing called meditation and uh, received a lot of great teachings uh, down there, over there, on how to practice mindfulness. And uh, in the beginning, it was more of a personal uh, adventure, uh, but then as I uh, as I returned to to the West, I started to do research. I was a researcher, and I started to to read some of the very compelling research about what mindfulness is doing to the brain, what it's doing to the body, what it's doing to performance, and I was just completely hooked. and uh, And that's how it uh, how it became a, a lifelong journey for me. And you actually you have a book coming out with Jacqueline Carter, another work human speaker early next year. It's titled The Mind of a Leader. So why did you focus your study on leaders in particular? Right. So our study is, uh, is focused on leaders uh, for a few different reasons. Um, first of all, we have been working with leaders for about 10 years now. We've been training around 100,000 leaders from very large organizations like Microsoft and Accenture and IBM and so on. Um, and what we started to notice was that uh, leaders have problems nowadays. It's a, it's a really busy, challenging time in, in corporations and organizations in general. And this comes across for many leaders as a bit of a challenge. Uh, what we found was that we did some, some research and amongst others found that 77% of leaders find that they're doing a great job engaging their employees, making them employees motivated. Uh, but 82% of employees actually find that their leaders are doing uh, a quite poor job in motivating and engaging them. So I would say what we have observed over the, the past 10 years is what I think we safely can call a leadership crisis. Leaders are not as great as they could be, and they, it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they don't necessarily have the tools to be really great at engaging their people. And oftentimes HR organizations are tasked with you know, reporting on engagement scores. So you know, based on the research, what advice would you give leaders that are concerned about engagement and, and with the leaders that are causing maybe this disconnect with employees? Right. So I think uh, to this question, uh, Global Force is, 
is on to the right thing. Uh, Global Fork is talking a lot about people-centric organizations. And according to our research, people-centric organizations where the culture is focusing on people before focusing on anything else, that is the, that is the golden rule for creating engagements, for creating intrinsic motivation. Um, so creating cultures where people feel valued where people feel they are connected to each other, to their leaders, to the mission, where people feel that there is a meaning in the work that they're doing. Uh, so an, an organization that really focuses on what could be called the, the basic human drivers, the things that is driving all human beings, like being connected, having a purpose, having meaning, being engaged, being a benefit. So catering more to those needs rather than just thinking of the paycheck, the benefits, that is, uh, that, is, that is the key, I think, the key for engagement and for, for stronger performing organizations. And that's what all HR professionals and all uh, C-suite leaders should focus on. And there is one step that is really important, and that is obviously the leadership, that leaders are leading as human beings rather than managers. We talk a lot about in the book about unlearning management unlearning management and learning, relearning to be human beings. Because especially with the younger workforce that is entering the, the, the larger organizations nowadays, they don't want to just have a paycheck and, and be told what to do. They want to have a sense of purpose and meaning. They want to have real, real valuable, real, authentic conversations with their leaders. They don't want to have a hierarchy. They don't want to have a boss. They want to talk human to human. So leaders learning to be truly human and organizations to be more people-centric. Those are the two key foundations that our research found. I like where you're going with, you know, leaders being human. I think a lot of that is coming out of just the transparency today with social media. I mean, I just think about all the causes that brands and companies are getting behind and people, you know, and people get excited about that, especially younger people. I think it's more and more important to them in their work. Yeah, it definitely is. It's 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 very clear and, and yes, certainly for the younger people, but even for the older generations also getting more and more important. So what would you say was the most surprising finding in your new research? Um there are probably a few things few things that surprised us a lot. Uh one thing that uh well I would say three things. Three things I'll share three things that really surprised us in our research. First of all, uh, this was not from our research, but from the research we did on other research that has been done, uh, was that MBAs, which is, uh, which is the, 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 the general leader in, in large companies, is an MBA uh, uh, alumni. And what research has found over the past two years is actually that MBAs are not necessarily the best leaders of organizations. A study actually find that consistently leaders or CEOs with MBA backgrounds performed on the company bottom line, performed worse than other categories of educational backgrounds. Wow. So while we for for decades, decades have, you know, trusted in the MBA as being the the crown jewel of leadership education that secures a company's uh, success, research is actually finding that it is not. And the reason for that seems to be that when you have an MBA, you've been schooled in a very traditional way of doing business 
which is very much focused on spreadsheets and numbers. And while that obviously is very, very important, if you don't have self-awareness and if you don't have awareness of the people and the culture that you're leading, you can't create long-lasting, durable results for any kind of organization. So that was the first surprise, that MBAs is not necessarily a good thing. It is a good thing, but it needs to be complemented with either other people in the, in the C-suite that has more humane, more cultural uh, focus, mm -hmm. or HR in general. So that was the first finding. The other thing was, uh, again, not from our research, but from uh, other research that, that we did research on, is empathy. Empathy is something that for many, many years have been hailed as really important for leadership. And all the work of Dan Goldman and others have found how important empathy is for empathizing with people and thereby creating engagement. But new research that has come out just about a year ago actually finds that empathy is detrimental or can be detrimental and in many cases is detrimental for leaders. First of all, because it makes leaders distressed. Basically, if you empathize too much with too many of your people that are having a tough time, it's going to cause you a lot of stress. Secondly, it finds that people that have strong empathy for the people that they're with, with have less sense of diversity because with empathy, we, we tend to choose the people that look like ourselves. We'll hire the people like ourselves. We'll promote the people like ourselves. So the more empathy we have, the less diversity we tend to create. Hmm. Also, empathy That's can interesting. lead to... Yeah, it's very interesting. And also, empathy can lead to poor moral decisions, and empathy can make us very narrow-minded. So there's a lot of new research on this, and I think what is really interesting is what the research is finding that while empathy then not is the greatest thing, what is, what, what is it that we as leaders should train? And they say conclusively it is compassion. Compassion being different from empathy in the sense that empathy is about taking on the suffering of others, while compassion is about alleviating the suffering of others. So that was another interesting finding that empathy can be bad for leaders. And the last one, we, should I share one more? Definitely. Okay, very good. So another third one would be that, uh, that selflessness is a really good thing for leaders. And uh, I know you've had Adam Grant at Global Force a number of times, and he'll be there this year again. And um, Adam Grant has done research into this, and we did a lot of research and interviewed around 250 CEOs uh, to understand the role of selflessness in leadership. And the very conclusive answer is that the more selfless you are, the more space you give for your people, the more space you give for the people that you're leading and, and, and your line managers to do what they do best. The bigger ego you have, the bigger a target you are for, for praise and for blame, the bigger target you are for being criticized, so the bigger ego, the bigger problems, and the smaller ego, so the more selflessness, the more impact. And a lot of research has been looking into this, that leaders should really have a high self-confidence, but with a very strong sense of selflessness, having the bigger mm. picture in mind rather than own needs. And I think that has a lot to say about the leadership crisis and some of the leadership challenges that we certainly see in the U.S. Uh, these days. It, it reminds me also of uh, Susan Cain's research on introverts, introverted leaders. I think one of the challenges is that people that tend to want to be in those leadership positions are 
more outgoing and perhaps are more inclined to have, you know, the larger ego. So I think that's interesting. It kind of correlates with her research research as well because it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be a good leader. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So how do great leaders use appreciation and recognition to motivate their people? That is a very good question. So how do leaders use appreciation and recognition to motivate their people? Um, I think there are a few important things here. First of all, obviously, recognition has to be honest. It has to be... Um, it has to be authentic. If it's not, you can't you can't fake it. Everybody will feel if it's fake recognition. Having said that, recognition is obviously really really important because as people we want to that's just inherent in our nature. We want to be of benefit. We want to serve a bigger purpose. We all have it in us. We're good good beings basically. That's the way we're born and that's the way we live. And if we're recognized for what we do. That means we recognize for the positive contribution we're doing, and it is feeding a very, very deep longing that we all have. So just from a psychological point of view, giving honest and authentic praise and recognition is extremely important for enhancing people's motivation and people's engagement, and thereby people's performance. And back to the point about selflessness, if we are too full of ourselves, we won't see the contributions of others and we won't uh, recognize it, we won't appreciate it, we won't praise it. So again, it is very important that we get out of our own way and notice other people much more than we notice our own contributions so that we can bring recognition front and center of everything that we do, every engagement we have to our people. And playing off of that, you know, taking less of focus on themselves as leaders, you know, their job is really to grow and empower their people. So when it comes to growth and performance, how can leaders get themselves in the right mindset to have more productive conversations with their people? Right. Uh, that is a great conversation, a great, great question. And I think, uh, I think top of mind for many, many organizations nowadays that are revisiting their whole performance management system, which is these silly annual conversations where you're trying to make your people more productive. Um, I think Accenture was a good example when they, in, in the summer of, of 15, basically went out and ditched the entire performance review system and, and replaced it with something else which they call performance achievement, having ongoing, meaningful conversations uh, with their people rather than an annual review so then how do you do this? How do you make these conversations productive? And I think there are three things, at least according to our research, and I've touched upon it already, but three things that you as a leader need to have in mind if you want to have good growth conversations with your people. First of all, you need to be present. You need to be mindfully, presently aware in the situation when you have these conversations. If you are not, you won't hear what your people are saying, and you won't know how best to help them. And is that about? Would that be yeah. about getting rid of distractions? Absolutely. So, on a practical level, letting you know the phone stay in your office, closing your computer, so that when you are with other people, you are with other people physically. And then the the mental part of it is really shutting down all the mental processes, all the distractions that are going on in your mind. And this requires a lot of, uh, a lot of focus, a lot of mental discipline. 
uh, one of the conversations I had with the CEO, the CEO or the managing director of McKinsey basically said, if I'm not present when, when I'm with my people, I'm wasting their time and I'm wasting my time. I don't hear what they say and they don't hear what I say. So if mm-hmm. I'm not present, we're just all losing out. And, and I think that's a key thing for having growth for, uh, conversations with people. You need to be present. You need to be mindful. That's the first thing. Second thing that our research found, found as I've talked about, selflessness. You've got to get yourself out of your way. You've got to not think about yourself, what you look like, how you will, how you will be benefiting from the conversation, but always have the person in front of you in mind, his or her career. That has to be really clear. And the last thing that we found was compassion. Compassion is basically the intention to be of benefit for the people that we're with. To ask ourselves the question when we go into a conversation, how can I, through this conversation, bring this person to the next level? That is compassion. And compassion is not a soft, fluffy thing of pleasing others. It can be really tough. It can mean giving tough feedback. And many leaders don't do that because they're afraid of hurting the other person's feelings, but tough feedback can actually be done with compassion, and it is a compassionate thing to do because it basically means helping others. So bringing compassion to any conversation so that the people you're leading will know that you have got their back, you are concerned about their interests. When you have that, you will have much stronger loyalty, much stronger commitment, engagement. Um, so I think compassion, selflessness, and mindfulness are the three key qualities that our research found that leaders got to have in the 21st century to be successful. Yeah, I, I love the idea of you know bringing more compassion to the, the forefront. What does that look like in, in practice? I mean, is it giving people your time um, and just really being present? Right. Uh, compassion is definitely giving time and, and, and giving presence, but it is much more than that. It is, uh, first of all, it's a mental attitude that you really, deep down inside, you really want to be a benefit for others. So that's, a, that's, a, that's an attitude you need to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you need, to, you need to, uh, to manage your work in a way that expresses that intention John Chambers, the the former CEO of Cisco, he had a system whereby he was notified when any of the seven back then seventy thousand people in the uh, in the organization, when any of them had uh, had a severe loss in the in the in, in their family, or mm-hmm. when they had an accident, so he was basically notified within twenty four hours and would make sure that he would hand write a letter to those people that would be curious to them wherever they were in the world just as a really strong sense of the CEO, even of a large organization, is aware of you. You are not alone. You are taken care of. So those kind of really practical processes that allow compassion to be expressed, not just when you're with people, but also in the culture and the way you operate within the company, that is, that is how you do it. And That's amazing. Research, we came across a lot of great examples of that in our sharing some really practical tips for that in in the book. That's amazing. I love that story. And my last question for you, and something we ask every work human speaker, is uh, what does a human workplace mean to you? 
right? What is a human workplace? Uh, first of all, having, I mean, within Potential Project, we work with around 500 large international organizations. And while I still have to come across an organization that says, we do not want a human organization. We want to be mean and evil, and we just want to squeeze <laughs> the lemon and get the most out of our people. I just haven't experienced that kind of organizational leadership yet. Having said that, all kinds of dynamics in organizations are generally creating uh, environments and cultures that are toxic to certain degrees. Um, research is finding that, as an example, that 35% of employees globally would forego a, a pay raise to see their leader fired. Uh, that's as wow. bad as, as, as it is in, in organizations nowadays. Uh, so what is a human workplace? We have seen a lot of them. We are working with some wonderful, wonderful organizations that are doing a lot to create human play, uh, workplaces. And Cisco, Accenture, McKinsey, Microsoft are some of them, certainly even more so Marriott, Starbucks, LinkedIn. What does it look like? I think one of the, the, the prime things is that leaders in general have compassion. It is part of the leadership DNA. The CEO of LinkedIn, Jeff Weiner, basically says, compassion is my leadership mantra. When he is interviewing leaders that he is hiring, he is asking a lot of questions about compassion to understand how people think and how they act. So bringing compassion into the culture is a, is a key trait of a human workplace because having compassion means being human. And when you manage to create a culture that has compassion, that means it is going to be a culture that takes care of humans, humans operating as human to human, not as manager to subordinate, but human to human on same level. We both have the same intention or wish to be happy and not to suffer. We both have the intention to bring the, the company forward. So compassion is a, is a very strong trait of a human workplace. Well, thank you so much, Rasmus. I definitely learned a lot today. Wonderful. I am very happy to be sharing our findings. I'm looking forward to, to be at Work Human uh, 2018 again. So that's our interview with Rasmus Hogard. We hope you enjoyed it. I remind you to please register for Work Human by visiting www.workhuman.com. The price is going to go up after the end of the month, so please go and register now to lock in your lowest rate. So thanks for listening. I hope you have subscribed to the podcast. We'll see you during the next episode and hopefully see you at Work Human this year. The Work Human radio team will be by the bookstore. Say hi, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. So I'm Mike Wood. See you next time.